the most exciting part was the Time Magazine article was Stephen King is the king of e-publishing and MJ Rose is the queen. When Lip Service came out via Simon & Schuster, I was on the Today Show, which was really kind of wild. Welcome to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Five New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, Mary Alice Monroe, and Ron Block. As novelists, we are five longtime friends with 85 books between us. I am Ron Block. I am so glad you've joined us for fascinating author interviews, along with insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Friends and Fiction Podcast is sponsored by Mama Geraldine's Bodacious Foods. Kathy Cunningham was a successful but unfulfilled radio executive in Atlanta. One night while sipping wine and snacking on expensive cheese straws, she realized her Mama Geraldine's own cheese straw recipe was far superior. The idea for Kathy's company was born. Mama Geraldine's cheese straws now come in six varieties and they are the best-selling cheese straw in the U.S. Plus, the cookies are melt-in-your-mouth delish. Yummy snacks and a woman-owned empire? Now that's something we can really get behind at Friends in Fiction. Try them. You'll be glad you did. Get 20% off your online order with the code FAB5. Welcome to a new episode of Friends in Fiction Writers Block Podcast. Today we'll be chatting with two powerhouse book influencers, Pauline Hubert and MJ Rose. Each has had an interesting journey to reach the top of their game. I'm Ron Block, and first up, we will be chatting with Pauline. Pauline has been in the book business since 1995. As an English major at Barnard College, she worked in the editorial department of Artisan, a division of work. After graduating, she joined the William Morris Agency, first in the literary department and then in the new media department. Along the way, she saw an opportunity to aggregate book clubs online. She learned from traveling to book festivals around the country and interviewing over 1,000 book club members. Based on their insights, Book Movement was born to give clubs a better way to communicate with members and find great books based on ratings of other book clubs. Her company has now grown to be huge and is perhaps the biggest book club site and app. So in order to help grow the company, however, along the way, she went to realize her full potential. She went to business school at NYU and received an MBA in finance and entrepreneurship in 2009. There's a lot there. Welcome to the show, Pauline. Thank you. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, always, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed all the time. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about what book movement is and where did the original idea come from? Yes. Well, way back in 1995, when I was at William Morris, you know, I saw that book clubs were creating bestsellers, but there was no way to reach them. And the only websites available on the Internet were editorial websites. And no website was kind of leveraging the power of the Internet to connect these book clubs together. So that's what led me to go to book festivals, travel around the country and interview book clubs at book festivals and ask them what they wanted in a website. And they told me they wanted to know what other clubs were reading. Nice. So 
I invented a system of private web pages that can facilitate a book club meeting, in, in-person book club meeting, send out reminders and, and give them reading guides and discussion questions. But then on the back end, we can rank the books that clubs are reading nationwide and provide this ranked list of top 100 book club picks, which is updated every week. That's fantastic. And I've, I've done a lot of looking at the website and there's just something for everybody there. I really think that you have grown it into an amazing website and congratulations on that. Thank you. Yes, I'm always fascinated by the top club picks list. I mean, I'm always interested to see what's popping and what clubs have noticed. And there's a lot of dynamics in the list. So it's really interesting to look at even for me after all these years. There is. And as a librarian too, I think I know what people are going to want and stuff. And some of these titles that may seem obscure, but they really latch onto. And then when they start sharing information and talking about it, it just brings it right up the ranks. Yes, exactly. So tell me about the process of actually getting it off the ground. I can't imagine it just poof happened. (laughs) It had to be some, I think your finance and entrepreneurship background had something to do with it. Yes, it did. But technically, I was very lucky. I found a developer that was also a designer. His name was Gabriel, but he was kind of my angel Gabriel. And he really was kind of the technical brains. And we helped give birth to it together. And, you know, when we built an app um, and launched it several years ago, and I had a similar really technical genius. So, you know, you really need the technical aspect for it. Um, And, you know, consistently talking to to book clubs and to customers and seeing what they wanted. And, and then also, you know, changing as people's tastes have changed. I mean, I've noticed, you know, I've noticed in the last several years that the dynamics of book recommendations have changed in terms of what book clubs want to hear from. And, and I think readers as well, you know, it's turned from this kind of um, crowdsourced list. And even though the top club text is still a great resource, I think that people have gravitated more towards um, kind of the Instagram model and the not just celebrity book clubs model, but kind of the personal testimonials about how books have affected you. So I think that's why, you know, Jenna Jenna's um, book club is so powerful mm-hmm. and Reese's book club is so powerful. Particularly, Jenna Jenna has a wonderful way of describing the books and saying how it personally affected her. So it's really kind of gravitated more towards that. So in terms of um, the the um, sponsored book promotions and giveaways that we do. We really try and gravitate towards um, facilitating that as well as as well as uh, other other types of promotions that um, are both useful to authors and publishers in terms of introducing books to the book club audience and also exciting and interesting for book clubs um, to help them discover books, but also win books um, as book clubs, which is very which is unusual. It is. It is. And um, I think people are uh, more into all of this than they ever were before. Do you think that has anything to do with the, the last year of the pandemic? Yes. I mean, certainly the reading went, went off the roof. Um, but also, you know, we, there, was a, there was a bit of a lag in terms of people kind of facilitating towards online. And I helped, I, I really wanted to try and actively bridge that gap for people. Um, so I really encourage them to use Zoom. And um, we started hosting kind of virtual book events. And now, even though people can meet in person again, you know, we're slowly getting there. Um, I think people are remaining, at least my book club is, with the virtual book clubs, because we can now have members that have moved away locally, but we can have them um, still meet all across the country. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. I, I think you're right. Some of the events that I've hosted uh, really just gain new followers from everywhere. So it's, I I think it's, it's here to stay. 
How do members actually join and participate in book movement? Well, I mean, most the site has really grown from word of mouth, um, which is really extraordinary. Um, people just either they look for for reading group guides or discussion questions, or they're looking for a way to manage their website, um, or they're looking for an app to help manage the website. And so that's how they, you know, the membership is free and you sign up and you get a free webpage and you list your upcoming selections or you look at the top club picks or, you know, enter to win a giveaway. It's, it's that easy. Or just download the app. It's a book lover's paradise for sure. <laughs> um, how you seem to grown into a one-stop shop for readers, but also uh, you are creating partnerships with authors and publishers too. Do you think, uh, did you ever think that you'd be such an influencer in all aspects? <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I don't think of myself as an influencer, but really as a facilitator as, as to kind of magnify the voice of book clubs, both collectively and individually. You know, I think it's really special to be able to um, kind of be able to have a collective voice of, of what book clubs are reading through the top club fix list. But then also in the virtual events, I love seeing my members and I love hearing from them. And I love being able to see kind of the the book clubs being able to connect with the authors. It really is very special. So I like that I've been able to um, make it easier for, for authors to reach book clubs and, and vice versa. So I think I really don't think of myself as an influencer, but more as a, like a fairy godmother of book clubs, maybe. <laughs> Fair enough. And fairy godmother fits perfectly, perfectly. Um, so I'm imagining that you probably have a big team behind you that helps keep the content and the access and the technology fresh? I do. You know, it's, it's a fairly, fairly small team, but, um, you know, we keep it lean and mean, basically. Um, we're there when we, when we need to be, but we are, we are definitely um, lean, I'd say. Yeah. Nice, nice. Efficient, compact and efficient. Okay, so let's dig in a little bit. Um, I always like to know about people's backgrounds. What was your uh, reading and book journey uh, growing up? Oh, gosh. Um, well... I would say, yeah, from a very young age, um, the learn the learning to read was a bit of a was a bit of a. I had a, a kind of an eighty year old woman who was trying to teach me to read before I entered first grade, and um, I would throw books across the room oh. <laughs> in frustration. But then when I got it, I was off to the races um, and dropped out of the brownies to join the great books junior great books program and and just went from there and. Um, you know, was an English major and, and won some, I went to Exeter and won a, won an English award there. So, and kind of got honors at Barnard and started working at publishing at Barnard and, and kind of continued from there. Um, and, you know, love the editorial process, but the, the enticing element of being at an agency, kind of seeing all the different kind of media interact and seeing the deal, pro, deal flow, um, and seeing how kind of, the sausage gets made from a different perspective was really interesting. Um, but then I really was drawn to this kind of opportunity that the internet presented. Um, and this opportunity kind of um, magnify the power, the voice of book club. Nice. Yes, it did. Um, so can you tell us what are some of your all-time favorite books are? Oh, gosh. Uh, I In the last year, and I hosted a, um, a six-week virtual book club. It sounds it sounds very involved, but it was really more to um, kind of help us. I really love The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. Oh, yes. Um, yes. I was really drawn to 
when the pandemic first happened, I was really looking for kind of um, uh, a voice to kind of lead me through this this time. And I thought of Winston Churchill and I looked up his speeches and um, through the Winston Churchill Society and the website, I found the Splendid in the Bile. And I kind of threw it out there to the membership saying, you know, I'm looking, I'm going to read this and kind of, it sounds wonderful. And I was looking to Winston Churchill's words to help guide me through this. And if you're interested, join me. And we had a really great time. Um, and I compiled a slideshow based on the research so we could see all the figures um, in the in the book and all of the, you know, all of his um, characters around him. So it was really, I mean, I really loved, really loved that book. Um, but I also love The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay is all, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Um, is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, yeah, I could keep going. Yes, well, couldn't we all? <laughs> I keep, right, I keep right. thinking more. Oh, that one. I forgot that one. Um, yes, right. Exactly. So what's, what's next for book movement? What is next for book movement? Well, actually, in this last year, born really from the, from the virtual book events, well, we've got two things going on. One is um, born from the virtual book events. I noticed that uh, clubs were just really loving to hear if they if they want to if they've loved one of an author's work, they want to know about all of them. So we launched a new kind of book giveaway and um, way to intro- in, introduce books to book clubs called the Deep Dive. So we have a giveaway, and then we have we list the author author's entire works. Or if it's a series, we list list the series in order, so it's super you know easy to see. Read the books in order. Read the books in the series. See an author's work chronologically, which I think is always fascinating. Um, and then secondly, we I have commissioned an illustrator who I found interviewing an author, um, Elizabeth Weitzman, who wrote um, Renegade Women in Film and Television. Um, this wonderful illustrator who illustrated her book called Austin Clare. I commissioned her to do an illustration as kind of a love letter to to books. And so she did a wonderful illustration of a bookshelf um, with kind of these um, spirit animals and talismans to what I, everything that books give us. Like Athena is there and I call her Lady Athena, you know, the kind of patron scene of book clubs um, as she's the goddess of wisdom. And um, David is there and, and jade horses and ginger jars and really wonderful. So we have a series of... Um, products that we put it on so it's on mugs and it's on earphone cases and it's on um, all sorts of things so i'm really excited about that we're launching it in a couple of weeks oh my god they are going to eat that content up <laughs> it's it's great what a great new uh twist to it yeah are there any other trends trends that you're seeing in in general in publishing you know what i think mj is really the person for that um i think she'll be able to tell you a lot more than i can i rely on her intelligence to really tell me what's going on gotcha okay next i'll be talking with the fascinating mj rose mj rose grew up in new york city mostly in the labyrinth galleries of the metropolitan museum the dark tunnels and lush gardens of central park and reading her mother's favorite books before she was allowed she believes magic and mystery are all around us but we're too often busy to notice Books that exaggerate mystery and magic draw attention to it and remind us to look for it and revel in it. Rose is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestseller, as well as an international bestseller. She has published more than 19 novels and three books on marketing. She's been published in more than 30 countries and sold over 1.5 million books. The Fox TV show, Past Lives, they were all based on Rose's novel, The Reincarnationist. 
Rose is co-president and founding member of the International Thriller Writers and the founder of the first marketing company for authors, AuthorBuzz, which we're going to take a deep dive into today. She also runs the blog Museum of Mysteries. In 1998, her first novel, Lip Service, was the first ebook and the first self-published novel chosen by the Literary Guild Doubleday Book Club, as well as the first ebook to go on to be published by a mainstream New York publishing house. Rose graduated from Syracuse University and spent the 80s in advertising. She was the creative director of Rosenfeld, Surowitz, and Lawson, and she has a commercial in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. All of that to say, welcome, welcome, MJ. I'm so thrilled that you're here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. My first question. Oh, and sorry. for saying all those things that I did. I forgot some Oh, they're of so them. fascinating. And I, I just, I had to say them all. My first question for you is when do you sleep? This is so I do. I sleep I sleep 6 hours a night. Okay. I don't have kids. Ah. I've never had any kids, so I have a lot of time. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so I really want to start out with this story about um uh, lip service and how it came to be and your path to publication. It's just so fascinating and it sounds like it's taught you so many things. Can you share that journey with us? Sure. Um, it was all an accident. Uh, I had an agent in 1994 and she submitted my book, Not Lip Service, to a lot of people. And we got back rave rejections, but all the rejections basically said that my book crossed too many genres. It was too literary to be commercial. It was too commercial to be literary. It was too much of a mystery, but not enough of a mystery. It was erotic, but it wasn't erotic enough. And in 1994, cross-genre books were, nobody was doing that. And I only knew about good books and bad books. I didn't know anything about genre books. I was in advertising. I was very, very well entrenched in advertising at the time. So she suggests I write another book and try to stick to a genre. So I tried and the exact same thing happened. And we got all these rave rejections for the same reasons. (laughs) And she said, I should try to write another book. So um, I started to write another book and I realized that I, uh, oh no. So I wrote another book. I did. I wrote the third book. The third book was lip service. So she showed lip service around and got exactly the same responses. And now we're like in 1998 and the internet had started to be a thing. And I was doing a lot of research and work on the internet and um, finding out a lot about it. And I was sort of fed up at this point with what publishers were saying. I didn't know publishers. I didn't know the industry at all, but I knew what I read and what they were saying made no sense. So I told my agent I was going to do a marketing experiment. I was going to put the book up on a website as a downloadable PDF word file. There was no such thing really as eBooks. There were no eBook readers. Nobody was talking about eBooks. And I was also going to make and make a a click where you could buy the book and I would go to Kinko's and I would (laughs) all 350 pages, copy it and send it to you. But I wasn't trying to publish the book. It was a marketing experiment because that's what I am. That's what I was, was a marketing expert. And the goal was I was going to do ads for the book and put them on the internet and show the publisher that you could take a cross genre book and you could market it correctly and you could sell it. And then I was going to give the results to the agent and let her go back to the publishers. She fired me because she said I was self-publishing the book, which at the time was pretty much like murdering a dog (laughs) um, in the literary world. 
And I was like, fine, I'm doing this experiment because we're not getting anywhere any other way. And this is what I write. So I did an ad that was, can an erotic book be intelligent? And I had the book cover designed by a friend who was fabulous. And we put the, I started putting the book on websites and I put it up on Amazon, which at the time was the only place that would sell quote unquote, a self-published book. It was the only place that as long as you had an ISBN number, which is a code um, number for people who aren't in the business, they had a program called the Advantage Program. And it was Jeff Bezos, was it, Amazon was a small company at the time. Uh, Jeff Bezos said he, they only sold books. And he said he wanted to level the playing field for anybody who had a book. So you could put your book up at Amazon. They would buy five copies they didn't sell ebooks. You'd buy five copies of the book. And if anybody ordered them, they'd reorder one of the copies of your book. So in order to do that, I had to print some books. So I printed some books. I, you know, went to found a small printer and I printed some books and everything was going really nicely. And then somebody told somebody about the book and all hell broke loose. And I got 3000 orders for the book. And the Doubleday Book Club and Literary Guild somehow heard about the book and contacted me because I had come up with a name of a printing of a publishing company just so I didn't publish it as MJ Rose. I had Lady Chatterley's Library, which I still own as a name. And Lady Chatterley's Library published lip service. And so I got this letter, this email from somebody at the Doubleday Book Club saying, we read your book, we bought it on Amazon, and we want to make it a featured alternate selection at the Doubleday Book Club. Can you please contact us? So I, of course, thought that was a joke. And, um, but I called the person, and sure enough, it was a real person, and they had heard about it from somebody and read it, and they offered me a book deal, and I took it. And it was because I was in advertising, I asked them, I said, you know, I told them it was self published. I told them this is a marketing experiment. And they said, well, we don't care. So I said, well, do you mind, have you ever done this before? And they said they'd never bought a book that they discovered on the internet before and that had started life this way. And they never bought a book that wasn't from a, a novel that wasn't from a publisher. So I asked them if they minded and they said no. And so I put out a press release. I sent it to Bloomberg and AP and I just, I knew what to do. So I did it all and it got picked up and it was the, basically it became the first ebook discovered on the internet to then go on to get picked up by New York publishing. Cause of course my agent contacted me and offered to represent me again and sold the book to one of the people who'd rejected it originally at um, Simon and Schuster. Wow. And since then I've published 21 books with um, Simon and Schuster or with uh, two other publishers, uh, traditional publishers. And then this year, um, a couple of years ago, I opened a company with Liz Berry, which is a publishing company. It's a marketing publishing company. And this year I decided that since I owned a publishing company, I should start publishing my own books. So I turned down my contract, my new contract from Simon & Schuster, and we're now publishing my books through Blue Box Press, which is our publishing company. So that's the story. That is <laughs> unbelievable. You are a pioneer. And I guarantee you, there's so many people that are so inspired by you. It's like open the floodgates. Yeah, actually, the most exciting part was the Time Magazine article was Stephen King is the king of e-publishing and MJ Rose is the queen. Because at the same time, he did a serialized ebook 
in 2000 called, uh, or 1999, Riding the Bullet. Yes. And so the two of us had the, had this cover story. And when, when Lip Service came out via Simon & Schuster, I was on the Today Show, which was really kind of wild. That's fun. Um, and uh, there was Jeff Bezos hired a PR company to get me PR because I was the f- I was also the first book discovered at Amazon, and so Jeff was really excited about the fact that he leveled the playing field and he had created a platform where somebody could use that platform to launch their career and launch their book. It's, the company's become a little bit bigger now; it sells a few things more yeah, than books, <laughs> but it's, it was very exciting. <laughs> That's. Fantastic. Oh my God, what a story. Um, so let's talk about your books a little bit more. How do you categorize them? You said they're across genres, and I know that they're not always about the same thing, and they do they do expand beyond that, but how do you categorize them? There's sort of um, two different kinds of books I write. I write suspense, in um, contemporary suspense, or I write historical suspense. So um, the last 12 books have been historical suspense, but at the same time, I write novellas with Steve Barry. I've written four of them that are very much contemporary thrillers. And I have a new series of novellas coming out with C.W. Gortner that take place in the 1950s that are old fashioned capers like jewel heist books. Oh, so I, I still am writing all over the place. There's not really a genre where I fit or a category where I fit much to my publisher's my old publisher's dismay. It's easier to sell an author that fits in a slot, but I never wanted to fit in a slot because I thought it was boring. And I always said that if, when I got into publishing, when I sold, got my first contract from Simon and Schuster, and it was a two book contract and I was no, I quit my job in advertising and I was going to just be a writer. And I said that the minute I had an editor who told me that if I changed what I was writing, I'd sell better. I'd go back into advertising because I didn't want to write to the marketplace. And it happened after my fourth book where I had the editor said, if you do this, this, and this, we'll publish you no matter what, but we know we can sell you better if you're you're willing to change what you're doing. And I opened AuthorBuzz and I went back into advertising because by then I had, uh, I, I skipped a step, which was that when I did get published, when, when I did self-publish the book, I also went to wired.com and got a job being the e-publishing columnist, because for those of us who remember 1999 was like the wild west and in, in publishing, all of a sudden e-publishing became a thing and became enormous and yes. wired needed a reporter to cover the industry. And basically my whole career is a result of having it, how involved I got as a reporter. Real briefly, could you just give everybody the down and dirty about author buzz? Yes. AuthorBuzz is an advertising marketing agency, and I work with authors, all kinds of authors directly. And we we create marketing plans and advertising and promotion for their books. We also work with publishers and we exclusively sell promotions at bookmovement.com at Pauline's site. And we do very extensive um plans for how authors can get their books to book clubs as well as other targeted audiences. And you can reach me through authorbuzz.com. Really easy to find. We've been in business since 2005 and we work with everybody from debuts to bestsellers. That's amazing. And it's such important work. And I just think everybody benefits from that. Um, 
let's talk about your books. Let's go back to there. Where, tell me where you find the inspiration for your plots and characters. Um, that's, that's always such an interesting question. Every book is different. Um, I focus a lot on the arts and I seem to go in stages for a while. I was doing, um, I've always been fascinated by reincarnation and I've written six books that touch on reincarnation. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then I, one of those led to, um, when I was in advertising, I worked on a lot of perfumes and I was fascinated with perfume. So I have three books that take place in Paris and New York and the lead character is a perfumer. And then um, I went from perfume to jewelry is another fascination. And so I've written um, seven books that have to do with jewelers or jewelry or a piece of jewelry that catapults the whole story and gets it started. I seem to need an object or a thing rather than a person. Like the reincarnation book started with the idea of of the Butterfield, the Phoenix Foundation, which is a place that studied reincarnation that I made up, but was based on a real place at the University of Virginia. And so all the books centered around the Phoenix Foundation. Before that, I was writing about a New York City sex therapist who worked at a place called the Butterfield Institute. So I seemed to like find a place and then work around it. And one of the weird things about me is that I always have to buy something that belonged to my main character. And I've written a lot about that online. And um, anybody who wants to write me at mjrose.com, I can send you an article about creating, um, creating books through an object and buying something for my main character. And the last book that I wrote, The Last Tiara, was inspired by an article I read about how in 2012, uh, it was discovered that there was a tiara that had belonged to the Russian Romanov family, and that that tiara had been missing since 1920, and nobody has any idea where, where it has gone to or where it went or what happened to it. And that became the idea for the last tiara, like what would happen if a woman in 1948 discovered the skeleton of that tiara, meaning the tiara without any of its stones in her mother's estate? Like how, what would, what it would it mean? How did her mother get the tiara? And that's how that book started. The book before that was Cartier's Hope. And that one was inspired when I read a little article about how Pierre Cartier of the Cartier family owned the Hope Diamond for 11 months. And that during those 11 months, he was a master marketer. And he made up a lot of stories about the bad luck about the Hope Diamond, that it really wasn't that much bad luck at all. But he was such a marketing genius. He thought that the bad luck would help him sell it. So things, little things like that become like an impetus to write a novel. Yeah, it sounds like they jump in there. I, I, I obviously get the sense, and I think anybody who's read your work knows that you're such a, a student of history and, and that you're really tied to a lot of historical events and objects. Um, how do you do research to put the books together? Well, the thing that I try to do the most is to get um, source material from the period because I find that that's it's very hard to, to throw yourself back into another period. So I try to get a lot of source material. I read newspapers and magazine articles from the period. I get novels that were written during that time by people who were living during that time. And then I find research, you know, if I have to go to a university and find um, a student, you know, somebody who's doing graduate work in that part of, of Russian history, I do that too. So a lot of different varied ways. 
That's really fascinating. So I always hear about um, authors getting like aha moments as you're doing your research, things kind of pop out at you that you uh, incorporate into the story. Does that happen for you or do you kind of have it all set out before you begin? No, I I know where I'm starting and I know where I'm going and I don't know the journey that I'm going to take to get there. And um, sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't go well. Uh, every book is like, you've never written a book before. A lot of my friends who are authors say this. And the more books you write, the harder it gets because I think that we're depleting our what's in our minds. We've used that plot. Like I'm, st- I'm working on my, what is it, my 20th? second book now. And it's like, I keep coming up with ideas and like, but I did that in, you know, the witch of painted sorrows. And I come up with another mm-hmm. idea. No, but I did that in the hypnotist. So it's becoming more and more difficult, but, um, I have a weird way of writing. I, I write very early in the morning. I listen to Gregorian chants and I sort of, uh, don't, I'm not aware that I'm writing. I start writing and then I sort of get lost. I see when I'm writing like a movie in my head and I just write down what I'm seeing, I don't really feel like I'm coming up with it as much as the characters are putting on a little performance for me. So there are tons of aha moments where somebody does something that I didn't know they were going to do. I write the whole book through without rereading any of it. And then when I get the first draft, messy draft done, I go back and I read it And I don't remember most of it. I really did write it in the semi-unconscious state. And I'm like shocked by things that happen in the book and like, what? And uh, it's it's a very strange process. I feel like I'm inhabited by other people. That is a great way. A lot of authors will say, well, the character is just taken away from me. But this sounds like a little bit more mystical. And I I love it. It's almost a book of its own. Uh, Yes, I guess it could be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to... bring Pauline back in and ask, have a couple of questions for both of you together, because I do know that, as I said, both of your work intertwines, but how did the two of you meet and decide to begin working together? Yeah, MJ, go ahead. Um, Well, when I started Author Buzz in 2005, um, I was looking around for, I, I wanted to be able to do everything an author needed. And one of the things I wanted to be able to do in that group of things was to get the right, if the author had a book that was a book club book that had the potential for appealing to book clubs. I wanted to be able to um, sell them that piece of marketing. And I believe that, you know, Pauline, I'm not positive, but I think we had met before in 2001 because you'd interviewed me for something you were doing for your graduate work or an article you were writing and you'd interviewed me. And so when it was time to look for a book club site, I went back to you and asked you if you'd be interested in partnering in AuthorBuzz. Is that right? Hmm. It's possible. I don't remember <laughs> that part. I remember meeting you in uh, like 2004 because the site launched in 2004. I spoke about it in, in 1995, like when the internet was invented, but that was just, I was just speaking generally. So sorry, I'm just saying I kind of misspoke about that. So at any rate, um, 2000, yeah, I think we met at Virginia Festival of the Book. I remember that. And then I think shortly afterwards, and that may have been earlier than 2004. Um, and then you contacted me, which was great. So how did the convergence of the two manifest itself? Like, What did you hope would happen for readers and authors together? Well, when I um, contacted Pauline, if I remember correctly, it was a once a month. It was a once a month newsletter or yeah, newsletter. And we just 
work together creatively, brainstorming to figure out how we could enlarge the newsletters and the site so that I could sell marketing on the site. And we changed the number. We changed it from once a month to once a week. And um, Pauline came up with ad ad um, blocks on the site that I could sell. And that was pretty much, it was pretty seamless. I mean, we just started working together and it just started working. And we've introduced so many things over the years. Book of the Month, Author of the Month, now Deep Dive, the virtual book launches, um, just a lot of fabulous creative things that we've just added. And what I said was, you know, I was thinking about it from the book club point of view, which was, if it's going to be a book promotion, I want it to be in an authentic way. So um, I wanted the promotion to be in the form of a book club giveaway. So if the books win a club or if, uh, sorry, if the clubs win books or if clubs read it in the newsletter and are interested in about it, they're going to add it to their possible club picks or their as a book club selection. And then it will make its way up the top club picks list. So if we have a promotion that makes its way onto the top club picks list, that means it's basically an authentic vetted book club recommendation from book clubs, which I think is really powerful for both book clubs and authors and publishers. It's great. I, I, that was my next question is talking about how book clubs seem to have gained a lot of influence over the book loving community. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think in last week's virtual book event, it was said that women in particular book clubs are saving novels, which I think is fiction. It's absolutely true. I mean, statistically, they buy 40% of books sold in bookstores. Wow. So yeah, they don't just read 12 books a month. They read 30 plus books a year, right? And that's not even counting the books that they buy for their friends. That's not counting the books they buy for their family. So women are single-handedly propping up. And I think book clubs in particular are propping up the fiction industry. So, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're looking at the New York Times bestsellers list, guaranteed it's book clubs that put it there, you know. I think that's amazing. We've talked a little bit about the pandemic already, but how did it impact your business in your collaboration between the two of you? I thought that it was going to have a greater impact than it did. It started off having an impact. Everybody got nervous and they put their promotions on hold. But then as people, I kept telling people, you're all crazy because people can't do anything but read. So I think that every author should put extra money into their promotions right now. And publishers didn't do it, but all of our authors did. And our authors saw enormous sales increases. And publishers have seen, even without marketing a lot of these books, sales have never been better. The pandemic was a huge boom for the publishing industry with sales going up 30% or more for all publishers. And a lot of people, first of all, had income to buy books because they weren't doing anything else. And authors had income that they could spend on marketing their books because they weren't going on tour and they weren't doing anything else. So there was a lot more interest, activity and excitement around books during the pandemic. And it hasn't really slowed down as far as I can tell. And we launched our virtual book event series. Right. I mean, it really helped keep people connected and combat the loneliness and isolation of the pandemic. And then it gave us a new way to have a really immediate and dynamic both interview, but also conversation between my book club audience and authors. Yeah. And I did a survey very early on the pandemic and I, and I asked book clubs, my membership, are you going to read less, more, way more, or way, way more? And by far the majority <laughs> of the answer was way, way more. Way, way more. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think over at Friends in Fiction too, we've seen that thing. It mirrors exactly what you're saying. People have just felt so much more connected. And I think the love of reading has just grown deeper and deeper. And I just think it's amazing. What do you think the trends are? What do you think the past year has meant for the future of publishing authors and book clubs? I'll let Pauline answer the part about the book clubs as far as trends in publishing. Yes. One thing I'm noticing is that there's going to be a lot more diversity in the books that are going to be published in 2022 and 2023. But other than that, I don't really try to stay on top of what publishers are going to be doing. I just have noticed that in what I've been reading. In terms of readers, I think that we're in a golden age of reading. I think that the pandemic got everybody reading again, and I don't see anybody walking away from it too fast. So I think we're in a really good spot for promoting terrific books and introducing them to readers and having readers fall in love. Well said, well said. And I think in terms of book clubs, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's really a trend, but I mean, through the past year, we really have rediscovered, if it's even possible, all of the gifts that books and reading bestow upon us in terms of being transporting and comforting and giving us wisdom and just great stories and also kind of being able to take a closer look at authors and their work, at least in terms of our virtual events. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at this illustration and thinking, yes, you know, books, 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 and all those wonderful gifts that they give us. I think it's one of the good things that always members write to me after the event and say, it's one of the good things that's come out of the pandemic is, is what books have given us. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you both for joining me today. I know our listeners will be fascinated. They'll be awed by your passion and your insight, just as I was. I've learned so much. I so appreciate you joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And just to remind everybody, if you're an author and you want information, you can go to authorbuzz.com. And if you're a reader and you want me to send you any articles about my books, you can go to mjrose.com. And if you're interested in book movement, you can go to bookmovement.com. It's all really easy. Yes. Well, I think you're both going to get a deluge of requests, and I'm very happy about that. On behalf of the Fab Five, Mary Kay, Kristen, Christy, Patty, and Mary Alice, Thank you all for listening. It means the world. Please be sure to subscribe so you get new episodes every Friday and tell a friend. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Friends in Fiction Writers Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube where you can see our live Friends in Fiction show that airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.